All podcasts that exist without my knowledge exist without my consent. And that is what I would say where I, the the judge as a podcaster, this is not just any book club, Cormac McCarthy month, where we read two of his most popular novels ever. Did I say the wrong name? Or no, just... no, I was like, okay, yeah, Cormac cool. McCarthy. I was like, <laughs> I was like whoa. <laughs> um, yes, uh, so we read, well, Justin, my co-host, uh, read The Road, and I read Blood Meridian. Yeah, and um, uh, we... Last week, we also, or two weeks ago, whatever we uploaded the episode, we also watched the movie No Country for Old Men. So we're getting our fair dose of uh, Cormac McCarthy over here. And I've also, I've also read at least 55 to 60% of Blood Meridian, which is Pierce's book here. So let's just say that. Right, I, I, I around 60%, I would say, based off yeah. of the quotation that you gave me that was like, <laughs> I was surprised when I was on like page... 200 something and it was there yeah um there's a good reason why we quit um (laughs) or i quit sorry pierce pierce powered all the way through this so i wouldn't even call it powered it was it was um i i didn't love reading it but i uh it was also like you know it was 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 nice it was fine I wouldn't call it pleasant either based on the content, but but it was it was it was it was a fine read. Um, this may be the most metal episode of Not Just Any Book Club so far, because uh, a little bit of a content warning. Cormac McCarthy has a tendency to uh, one, not use quotation marks, two, not use any commas or exclamation marks. Uh, and mostly a lot of his novels deal with graphic descriptions of violence and other crimes against humanity. So we'll try not to dwell into that, but you know, if you're even a little bit queasy, um, I mean, you should still listen to it, just to judge if you'd want to, because we need those listens. But, you know, don't say we didn't warn you. Now you can't sue us. Um, Yeah, but Cormac McCarthy, we don't know much about him. He's very reclusive. He barely seldom gives any interviews ever. Um, Really, we barely know what the sound of his voice sounds like, except for one time he went on Oprah <laughs> in 2006 to promote the road. Um, other than that, we don't really know much about him. Um, he works at the Santa Fe Institute, not as a, a literary professor, but like as a contributor to like science, because I know that he's really into science, uh, which is awesome and good for him. More authors in STEM that can master both science and the arts. Um, and really, that's all we really know about him. Um, we know that he has a son, because that's what he wrote, wrote for. And that. Here's what I'll say. Here's what I will say about Cormac McCarthy, though, is a you know a, a man who loves STEM and is involved in STEM and writes novels that are you know well regarded as probably you know amongst the greatest novels of all time somewhere um is uh kind of like a modern like and uh happens a lot a little more frequently but like it's still kind of like kind of rare because you know mm-hmm. you you can be both good art and science because right. those two are not exclusive but it's awesome well, if you're both like good at the same time I, I i was gonna say kind of like a it's almost like a modern philosopher who writes like their philosophy Ooh. books and then their novels because i mean i don't think science will ever entirely replace philosophy philosophy will always have a place there's a saying where it's like um a philosopher i forget what his name is but he said uh something along the lines of like 
um, scientists have a philosophy. They just haven't, you know, done the the prerequisite thinking to know what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so that'll never replace that. But it has to some extent in terms of like what we view as like a search for knowledge. And so, you know, Cormac McCarthy is like a, like a Albert Camus writing The Stranger mm-hmm. and also... No, it's not a one-to-one comparison, but that's yeah. the that's the comparison I would draw for a man of science being such a well-written um, author. Yeah, we should do philosophy one day. Oh, one day, maybe, perhaps. <laughs> no, 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 don't perhaps discount that. Is, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I feel like a lot of Cormac McCarthy's work, um, a lot of it is like a thesis on philosophy. Uh, not really a thesis, but like. His philosophy on the world is mm. very apparent in all of his novels. Um, I wouldn't say they vary variate from novel to novel. I think they're very consistent consistent within his worldview. Which what would you describe that as? I guess his philosophy. Um, it's like a. I would call Cormac McCarthy honestly like a realist. Like he's not really, and and I I hate to say it like that because obviously you know everyone thinks they're a realist whether you're optimistic or pessimistic but i just mean in terms of like he's very he's he's like cautiously pessimistic almost mm-hmm. like he believes that there is some hope in the world or maybe cautiously optimistic however you want to put it optimistic um, nihilist i was yeah i was trying to separate it from like cautiously mm-hmm. optimistic cuz i think there is a difference between that and what he believes he basically seems to believe that like the world kind of sucks, but there is some hope left in it, um, mm-hmm. and we have to be able to get to that somehow. Yes, because um, a lot of what people describe as like Cormac McCarthy, I think they focus a lot about the negatives, or really not really the negatives, the the more hardcore aspects, the violence and all that that permeate through the world. Yeah, um, they fo- they focus on the pessimism that's definitely there, like in yeah. large, much larger quantities than the hope part is. Yes. honestly, but consistently, at least throughout all the fiction that I've read of it uh, of his, is that um, there's always a one person at least um, that carries on the good with it. So it's not always pummeling down on the good guys. Um, not to say that you know it's always happy, uh, but like it's to, to qualify him as just like. Um, I, I really don't want to use the word nihilist, but like just like super pessimistic to the point of just like despair. It's not really accurate. Um, mm. Yeah. And I, I feel like if you closer analyze it, um, it, it just gets misconstrued as that. Um, and I'm not saying that like maybe my interpretation of his philosophy is wrong, but I, I'm, I'm sure that if you've read more of his book, you'll see a common through line of just like good emerging out through the bad or emerging in spite of the bad in the world mm-hmm. which yeah shall we discuss the literature unless you got more to say about Cormac McCarthy yeah I, I will say also the uh, sometimes the good even if it is there it's, it, it sometimes does not win in the end of his stories um, oh uh, oh the judge maybe maybe, yeah. maybe maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later um I will also say before we get into it, uh, I do not actually mind as much spoiling these books because um, I'm I'm gonna tell you this straight up. 
from the beginning, like these are very in-depth books. I feel like it would be like spoiling Moby Dick. It's like, oh God, you don't read Moby Dick for, you know, obviously the, the ending plot. is important, but yeah, not you're not reading it. Right, right, right. Um, it's, you're reading it because it's something you should read. It's something that uh, would be good for you to read and good for you to think about. Um, so I don't mind spoiling this as much, but I uh, spoiler possibly alert. We're going to tastefully know. spoil it. Tastefully spoil it. I don't know that we're going to spoil it for sure or not, but I just um, will we'll put put out that forewarning. And if you know the ending of these, okay, like I I, I get what the pre concern is, but like, I don't know if you know the ending of Blood Meridian, it's not like, oh man, the entire story is spoiled for me because Cormac McCarthy is not someone that predicates his entire stories on plots. Um, knowing the ending is kind of almost a foregone conclusion. Like, you know the ending of the road going in. And I am pretty sure you kind of know that a lot of messed up stuff is about to happen in Blood Meridian. I don't know. I never got to the end of it. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I did read Blood Meridian um, on one of our my lesser favorite episodes. Don't I won't tell you what episode it is. It's postmodernism. Don't watch it or don't listen to it. Or at least in my opinion. Skip over my part. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the road. Um, I, I, I didn't. <sighs> okay. So the road is about a man and a boy who live in this post apocalyptic world, um, that is ravaged by cannibals. And, um, it's just the boy and the man surviving, um, throughout this world. And, um, I, I think that's really the simple simplified version of it um and it's kind of alluded to that the man's gonna die uh, of a disease that you don't want to pass on to a son um and this book has won so many awards it has a movie out and everything and i'm just kind of a bit miffed at the, at the idea of this um correct mccarthy the road being so acclaimed as it is um i from what research I've done on this, um, I, I mean, the critics are more aligned and if Goodreads is any metric to be um, measured by, it's a pretty polarizing book. And I, unfortunately, tend to fall into the latter camp where I do not like this book very much. I don't hate it as much as other people, but I mean, I see some of its merits. Um, Justin but... always has to be different when it comes okay. to like critically acclaimed modern books every time. Every time, every time. Um, <laughs> it's just the pros. And I think we've kind of alluded to this in the beginning um, where Cormac McCarthy, he did not tend to use um, very, he uses a lot of um, very long, wor not long words, but just very long sentences. The syntax is insane. He never uses any commas, or he seldom ever uses commas. Um, and it's it seems very long and redundant, uh, a series of unnecessary descriptions that just gratuitously complicates things and he'll have a bunch of simple words and then punctuate it with a really long complex word that almost seems like jargon that's not of this world not like in lovecraftian sense but like in a way that just like want to show off some fancy vocab um and i i i don't know what the point of it is in blood meridian but i think in the road where it, all the you know purple prose is kind of stripped back and more simplistic it's supposed to reflect the mundanity of just living in a post-apocalyptic world because um, a lot of this book is just the man and the boy just going through everyday life, avoiding, surviving, sometimes getting food. And um, it's supposed to reflect in the very, again, very purposefully restrained prose. It just, it doesn't work. Um, it's supposed to show the wariness. 
I got wary reading this. Um, and I think one of the biggest or the, the weirdest idiosyncrasy of, I think, Carmack McCarthy is his tendency to not use contractions or the quota- or the apostrophe or use quotation marks, which there's that one infamous, many infamous uses of the word don't, which is don't without the apostrophe. It's a non-word. Just use the apostrophe, um, in my opinion. I don't know. Um, it it I, I get it. I get the point of it. It's just I don't. It's like watching a movie where the shots are just out of focus because it, it is distracting to the point where I don't really enjoy it. See, see what what I want to say about the writing style of Cormac McCarthy, at least in Blood Meridian, is that I feel like it's something that is it can kind of once you get used to it, it kind of gets out of the way of what's yeah. happening, and it's something that you can pay attention to. Um, or it's something that you can choose to ignore to just get more of the like what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that's how that's how I felt about it. Um, uh, of course, the some of the like random, longer, more more complex words where uh, they Jarring. jump out at you. Yeah, right. They jump out at you when they do happen. But like for the most part, once I got used to the the and 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 let's do that a lot uh yeah um it it kind of fell away and it i mean it was obviously wasn't a comma but it wasn't that different from a comma unless i paid attention to it to me Mm. once you get used to it yeah um for me i couldn't get used to it so checkmate there (laughs) (laughs) i don't know it's just yeah and I think his full commit. I mean, aside from the punctuation stuff, um, that's either the take it or leave it thing. Fine, but I think it per- it kind of damages the book because um, this entire book is predicated on this the relationship relationship between this man and the boy who is a son, um, and it's just he's very committed to making sure that the dialogue is also reflective of his style, which is very sparse and you know not even reflective of just real people and how real people talk honestly this feels like an imitation of a man being a kid which is very not not a compliment because um it's not like the boy is more mature for his age it's more like he cries and wails a lot and they've been in this post-apocalyptic world for like five or six years and i think the boy was just a very very small boy at the the time you know when all the stuff came down they never explained what it is um so you would assume that he would just kind of get used to it because you know it's supposed to show how hard it is but whenever he sees a corpse he screams whenever he sees something a little bit spooky that you know he should have gotten used to by now he also just like starts wailing and normally i should not be criticizing how a kid would react in the post-apocalypse but i think it just it takes me out of the immersion every single time because you know what's scarier than someone um you know a little, little kid screaming at a corpse that they see like a little kid not screaming at the corpse that they see on the road that's being festered by vultures because he's seen it a million times before he's this is a world manifested by cannibals and it just doesn't work um and i i mentioned the dialogue it's just a lot of the dialogue is just very mono made of monosyllable min, one syllable words yeah. is that a word okay monosyllabic words yeah okay yeah um it's just a lot of okay do it and so on it just 
they, the dialogue's never used to build a relationship between the man and the boy. Um, I, I think I have pulled up a quote here. Um, this is one of the first lines of dialogue. I ask you something. Yes, of course. Are we going to die? Sometime. Not now. And we're still going to south. Yes. So we will be warm. Yes. Okay. Okay. What? Nothing. Just okay. Go to sleep. Okay. Not really the kind of dialogue you want to be building up between, you know, a father who loves a son. And I, I just don't, I don't really think this is the way that you should be doing dialogue. Um, it should feel human, uh, humanistic, you know, maybe the, the father tells the son a joke or maybe the son, you know, does something a little bit adorable and, you know, cheers him up. It's just, these characters just feel very simplistic and they seem like vehicles to explore the world and they don't grow or change. Um, the only thing that the, the boy has an effect on the man is to restrain him from doing anything evil or not even like, overly cruel um like he'll go back and give him some uh, a man that he just robs supplies he'll spare a man etc etc but it just just stops being effective and obviously i hate to use the m word but it becomes really melodramatic um when it's just constantly just pummeling you with just all this grotesque imagery imagery all these very just dis- the, these descriptions of this, this world that just it doesn't uh like paragraphs about like description and it just doesn't work um i will thank this book for one thing the last of us Uh uh-huh yes it inspired it very evident that it inspired it um i I, a hardened man uh with a with a child that you know is supposed to teach him to be a better person but like here you know you don't really get it um i can compare the last of us to the road but i feel like we're going to be doing that when the show comes out and i feel like we will maybe cover it question mark but we'll be discussing something along the likes um i just think the last of us kind of really just outshines it um and this we're recording this before the the show has come out so maybe the show could even be better than the games who knows um but yeah i don't know um i i do like the themes that it ruminates over about like you know what's the point of surviving in a world um that is just so devoid of hope um it talks about the ethical survival and surviving ethically and surviving physically um how the boy um the man tells them um the boy, man tells the boy to always keep on carrying the fire which is a phrase that carries over from um no country for old men so you know there's some continuity i guess this is like a sequel to that in a very very abstract way um and um I, there, there's this one part of the book where i did find it really interesting how the man always carries a gun um, but there's only one bullet and it's implied that the bullet is um, intended for the boy because the man does not want to be living in the world without the boy. So he'd rather shoot the boy and kill him um, and preserve his innocence rather than um, killing himself. Um, so found that really interesting. Um, and I guess th- there's some character development because they progressively learn to let go of the old world. Um, the man just lets go of photos of his wife and the boy lets go of his toys and he loses his innocence in a way, but like, his goodness remains, which is not enough to really develop these characters and do anything interesting. Um, so, um, so I will just let everyone know for those that follow us on Twitter, eventually I will get around to reading this book and there will be at least one tweet about how Justin, uh, Pierce read it and he likes it. And it turns out Justin was wrong all along, but Pierce yeah. couldn't say anything during the episode because he hadn't read the book before. 
there will be an, an addendum to this episode. I'm sure because I'm assuming that Pierce has really liked Blood Meridian are um, really is at least intrigued by Cormac McCarthy's style. Yep. Um, I, feel, I feel like we'll be revisiting the road a little bit when we again cover The Last of Us. If if we cover The Last of Us. In a tweet. Maybe. If. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yes, uh, I mean, I don't really, uh, again, I don't really have anything to say, except that I can't imagine it's that bad. Um, mm. I will also say the, uh, like, I don't know, we did this over Old Man in the Sea as well, where I, Justin hated it. And I was like, I, okay, no, I can't be bad. That he, won, he won a Pulitzer for it, like obviously it's going to be at least very good even if it even if you don't think it's like the best thing ever written mm -hmm. um and uh and i turns out i was correct uh so we'll see <laughs> we'll see about this one <laughs> i've read the old man in the sea at least three times um or at least twice ever since i first read it and the pierce lambasted me for my opinion mm -hmm. so um yeah. I, I think you can go I back think... and listen to our episode on, that was a on, good episode uh, Ernest Hemingway I'll let you, you listen to that on one that. um but nonetheless uh I don't really yeah I the one thing I guess I will say is I that quote you the 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 thing you quoted I actually don't think it was that bad like it was I mean it's one moment out of like 250 pages but you're obviously using it as like a microcosm of a bigger issue um but even as a microcosm if it's like that, like I, I think I get it as a, um, in its usage uh, as uh, for for the meaning of the book, from as I understand it. I get, yeah, I don't know. It just felt like a really boring game of ping pong, <laughs> just like words. Um, yeah, I don't, like, I don't know. Like you like simple writing, man. It's just uh, no Hemingway, not not the road. That, I just think simple writing might might not be for you. <laughs> that might be it. I um, possibly. Anyhow, but Blood yep. Radiant is something I've had experience with. So go yes. on, go All on right. with your criticisms. So Blood Meridian itself is uh, basically a series of events. We're following the kid. A I think he's an orphan from Tennessee or he's a runaway, whatever, whatever his history before that point, he, he's definitely a runaway from Tennessee and he ends up in Texas. Um, and first, the first like really major thing that happens is he joins up with, um, uh, I don't know. I didn't know what it was called before, but it's called a filibuster, a filibuster group, um, who's headed into Mexico to continue the good fight against the, the, the heathen, uh not able to rule themselves Mexicans so that way the US can have more land even though the US isn't at war with Mexico uh this is after you know the Mexican American war so mm -hmm. it's it's done that's done uh but they're going anyways and um you know uh they're arrested in Chihuahua uh or no wait first they get attacked by the comanche um and as one of the survivors he's arrested in chihuahua uh, as a you know as a filibuster um and he has an acquaintance who he had met before called toad vine 
um, who's able to get him out of trouble by basically saying that they are, you know, Indian fighters. They fight Indians for a living. Um, and the town really needs a group of people like that. So they get joined up with another group, uh, Glanton's group. And I just skimmed over like the first huge, like a pretty decent sized chunk of the book because the majority of the book and the majority of like what is talked about and discussed is um, his time with Glanton's group because in that group is probably who will be eventually one of, I mean, he's already really well respected, but probably eventually will be one of the like most remembered and thought of thought about characters in literature. Uh, Judge Holden, um, the ju- the judge. Oh, um, so yeah, he meets up with Glanton's gang and Judge Holden and all of them, and they basically, uh, the rest of the book is basically them, up until towards the end, is basically them going around. Um, they get into like scuffles. They fight uh, Comanche. They or well Indians in general, I think, and then they kind of go around um they come back to chihuahua and then they're like praised as you know heroes who killed a bunch of indians and then they kind of take advantage of that um eventually after a few months of kind of like (laughs) marauding over the area just like killing who they please and sleeping where they want and drinking all the time uh they head back to into the u.s um and they set up this like operation by stealing this guy's like ferry. Um, not stealing, like he still lives on it, and they pay him for it. But like, I he never give like express consent for them to run his like ferry business. He just kind of locks himself up, probably because he's scared of the group. Um, they kind of team up with this. Uh, native tribe in the region. I had the name here. The the local Yuma, which is a a Ketchum tribe, there. Um, they kind of team up with them for like a like a fake attack on the on the ferry, and then they betray them. Um, and so the Yuma eventually come back for revenge, and this is what kind of kicks off like the the end game of the story where Glanton's gang like falls apart pretty much. Um, I mean, I could keep going until the end. Um, should I? Should I just keep going? You know Blood Meridian spoilers from here on out. Blood Meridian spoilers from here on out. Um, so, uh, Glanton dies in the attack of the Yuma. He's caught off guard. Um, but a few of the members get away, including the kid, obviously, who's our kind of like anti-protagonist. Um. Tobin, which is an ex-priest in the gang. Um, Toadvine gets away, uh, and then the judge gets away, and uh, it's called in the book The Idiot also gets away with the judge, who I don't think Justin actually... I don't think you actually... Did you meet The Idiot? Did you... No, I did not. No, I... yeah. Very late, very late addition to the to the group. Um, Wait, is it like... Is he the one that they keep chained up or like? Yes. Yeah. On a leash, I think. Okay. And I was like, yeah. Um, but so the judge and the idiot get away to the, the judge takes seems to take a liking to the idiot while they're like doing their like ferry operation thing. 
Um, and so they actually get away together and they stick together for a while while everyone's on the run uh, from the from the Indians, um, the natives. Uh, and so they're all on the run. I think Tobin, the kid, and uh, Toadvine eventually get together and they're kind of like doing a stand. And then they see in the distance like the judge who's like, I think he's naked if I'm remembering correctly. And the idiot, they're like, they're walking up. Um, they, they've, they've made it out. They didn't, we didn't know their, you know, whether they made it out to this point or not. And he starts like, I can't remember if it's right then or a little bit later, um, in this like sequence, but he, he starts offering like money to people for, for things. Like, I think he, he offers, money to Toadvine for something. He offers money to the kid for his gun. And then he starts threatening them. Um, and he, there's this whole like kind of standoff situation slash on the run situation where now the kid and Tobin are running away from the judge. Um, and Tobin is like telling him, you got to shoot that. You got to shoot him. Um, and there's this really great scene of Tobin and the kid. I think they're still together, sitting on a on like a a hill or a of some kind. I I imagined it in my head as a sand dune, but I don't. I think I don't know that they were in the desert. I can't remember off the top of my head, but that's how I imagined it. Um, but they were on a hill, and there was kind of like this valley, and the judge like walks across it, and then there the. It's like relief because he passes right by the kid and Tobin is like, you know, has been telling him to take the shot the whole time, pretty much. Mm. Um, but he walks past and the kid doesn't have to stoop to that level to kill him um, to the judge's level. And then the judge comes back. <laughs> oh, he comes. I think they are in the desert because he's worried about him seeing his like tracks um, in the mm. sand. Um, but the judge comes back and he just starts like a monologuing. He's like, I know you're here. And I know that the, this priest has you like stooping to this level, but you've got like some good in you. And that's why we're at odds now because you have this like good in you that, uh, that I can't let continue or so I forget exactly what it was. Um, Yeah. It's <laughs> he's like, I know you're here. And then he just leaves. I'm pretty sure. Um, gosh, how does he get out? of? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he just leaves. I should have really like if I was going to talk this in depth, I should have gone and uh, maybe not reread it, but at least skimmed. Um, but yeah, he gets away and he gets to San Diego and. um. Uh, I think the kid tries to shoot Holden at some point, but misses. But um, the kid gets to San Diego. He gets separated from Tobin. Um, the kid's imprisoned. The judge visits him in jail. And he says that he told the jailers the truth about how he was like the ringleader of Glanton's gang. Um, But the kid eventually is released and... um. You know, he's Dr. Treats' wound. And then we do a time skip where the kid is now referred to as the man. Um, and he's like old now. He's like 
middle-aged uh yeah well older he's not not the kid anymore um and there's some there's some really cool and interesting scenes with i guess the man um during this like last chapter or two um but he eventually comes into fort griffin yes um, he makes his way to back to Texas, um, and at a saloon, he sees the judge, and he's like, trying, I think, not to get noticed. Like he's just, um, and eventually the judge comes over, and they he strikes up a conversation about how the kid has arrived at the saloon for the dance, uh, that the judge I refers to, um, and praises, um. And uh, the kid seems to get like frustrated with him, like that the judge is here. By the way, the judge has not appeared to age at all in like twenty or thirty years, um, probably thirty years, I believe. Uh, and um, the kid points to a dancing bear in the saloon, and he says, "Even a big dumb animal can dance." Uh, and he goes out to the outhouse. The judge is there, apparently, and then uh, some people open the outhouse later, and we don't see what happened, but they just say, good God almighty, or one of them does. Um, And then the final paragraph is the judge in the saloon dancing. He's playing a fiddle. Ooh, I wonder what that could be a reference to. (laughs) Um and uh he's 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 saying that he's he will never die. Um he will he'll never die. Uh, and then there's an epilogue which I don't really understand. Um I read about it a little bit. It's a, a man is arguing lines of holes across the prairie for offense perhaps. He sparks a fire in each of these holes and an assortment of wanderers trail behind him. I'm very confused about what that means. I was I I, I just read that from Wikipedia because I have a, no idea what I like. I couldn't get that from actually reading the epilogue. The epilogue is very confusing to me. Um, but yeah, it was I actually really enjoyed the book. Uh, I think the judge is clearly an embodiment of evil of some kind. I don't think he's literally the devil, but Hmm. McCarthy is invoking the devil to, you know, make it an obvious embodiment of evil. Um, Not to mention, obviously McCarthy's own, he seems to be Christian of some kind, or maybe not Christian, but influenced by Christianity. Paradise lost philosophy. Right. So he, I've not read it. Sorry. Yeah, I we I guess we don't literally know if he's Christian or not, but we know for sure that Christianity is is a influence on him. Yeah, uh, of some kind. Uh, and so I I think he's just invoking the devil here, and the judge is supposed. It's not necessarily supposed to be. Um. I I feel like the the invocations of Christianity are there for sure um however uh i think that it's more universal than that obviously uh <laughs> um 
And one thing that I had always felt throughout the entirety of the book was that um, there were these moments of like great beauty, even in like moment to moment, we were always seeing how tough and hard it was, not only in travel, but obviously in all of the super violent altercations um, tough to even read some of the things uh, that happen for some very people. Very graphic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, very graphic. Um, but I always felt like there were these weird, kind of weird, but also very intriguing moments of like, of, of beauty um, hmm. in their travels. Um, and I, I actually also have something that I want to read out of my book. Holy cow. Um, this is during one of the, one of the chapter, chapter, 12 uh which if i remember correctly there was a lot of travel in this chapter um at least in the beginning part of it um let me read one paragraph here that night they were visited with a plague of hail out of a faultless sky and the horses shied and moaned and the men dismounted and sat upon the ground with their saddles over their heads while the hail leaped in the sand like small lucent eggs concocted alchemically out of the desert darkness when they resaddled and rode on, they went for miles through cobbled ice while a polar moon rose like a blind cat's eye up over the rim of the world. In the night, they passed the lights of a village on the plain, but they did not alter from their course. Um, hmm. And I will say in that, that is certainly a usage of McCarthy's, uh, I guess, kind of iconic at this point style um, that I thought was very beautiful and intriguing in the way that it was written the fact that it doesn't give you a breath the 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 not only the the experience of being in hail but also the beauty that's come from this specific hailstorm is breathtaking um in a way that when you read it like you are literally just it keeps going and going and going and barely gives you room to pause i had to pause to breathe in a moment where there was no punctuation because I was just, I was trying to kind of embody that and not like mm -hmm. breathe in between words and, and stuff like that. Um, but this is one of a few moments where I, where it really stuck out to me, these, this moment of like, of beauty in, in, I mean, some people think that, that the, the landscape in Blood Meridian is, is supposed to be an embodiment of hell. Like that's how rough it is. Hmm. Um, but I always felt like there were these moments of 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 not righteousness, but but these beautiful moments just sprinkled throughout. Um, and before this episode, I read up on some interpretations. Uh, by the way, apparently this is the most uninterpretable book, or one of the most uninterpretable books hmm. ever. Um, people going so far as to say it evades interpretation. Um, but uh, nonetheless, another interpretation that I saw was something called theodicy. I, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I had to look up the definition for that. <laughs> but um, the definition here is the vindication of divine goodness and providence in view of the existence of evil. Um, so even through the violence and the horrific moments and the hard travels and the the horrific landscape, which again, some people have thought is supposed to represent hell, 
like literally the worst possible place you could be in. Um, through all of that, there are these beautiful moments of 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 goodness um, that still exist, uh, and and beauty for the reader to enjoy. Uh, while in other parts they are being horrified and depending on the person possibly having trouble getting through it uh which i thought was really interesting that i was able to pick up on that without really having the words to describe what was happening um yeah uh i'm definitely intrigued by cormac mccarthy for sure um but yeah and then obviously point of all that violent of blood meridian was just like because the reason why i dropped it and i kind of retract the statement of saying it's the worst book i've ever read um still <laughs> not a very not a very pleasant read and i mm-hmm. i still look okay so i read the road again knowing uh reading a bunch of analyses on blood meridian going oh i guess i missed something maybe if i read um the road with the right mindset knowing his style and I actually did like No Country for Old Men. That's kind of a different story. For some reason, I just like that book. And that's like the one exception. I really did enjoy that book. But I, it's like if I go into the road, knowing his style, knowing his philosophy, knowing that, you know, not to focus on the plot, maybe I will enjoy the road more. And maybe I might some gain some new appreciation for Blood Meridian, which I did because I know like a lot of it is laden with so many literary allusions and maybe some biblical allusions as well. Definitely true. It just... I just I still don't know what the point of all that violence was in Blood and Radiant. It just it makes me feel like it's just violence for the sake of violence. Um, it's gratuitous, really. Well, I, I think the point is to is to set up this terrible, horrific um, landscape and to have the existence of, of literal evil kind of thrown in your face over and over and over again. Um, just so that those moments of good kind of really shine through. Um, and I know there was something that you said while I was reading it that you, I guess, had he- probably heard from somewhere else, or it might have been your interpretation, I don't know, that um, often the kid is left out of dis- the descriptions of violence because he it's supposed to be up to interpretation whether or not he's involved, how involved he is, at least. Mm-hmm. Um and I think by my interpretation, I don't, I don't know how, in, how involved he is. Um, I think like clearly from the altercation with the judge later, he's probably not as involved as the judge wanted him to be. Um, and I think that's also another point with it is to, we have this, this character who we're supposed to be following who seemingly according to my interpretation and according to the thing that the judge says during their standoff has good in him, despite his rough past, how far away from home he hmm. is and the people that he's running with. He has some good in him that the judge himself sees. Um, and so I, I think like, basically what I'm getting at is I think the violence is there specifically to, throw that in your face and then you know the kid and it's also kind of to um help with that interpretation that i just or the the thing that i just said about the kid where he's left out you don't know and then it's clear um in hindsight once the judge starts talking about Mm -hmm. 
the kid and his his morals and his values that maybe the kid even if he is involved and he's doing horrific things maybe it's not as horrific as maybe he's not doing the most horrific things that we're reading you know so i really had to get to the ending to really get to the point of all yeah, that <laughs> pretty much um the the good the good is def and the good also like i said i think is throughout the book but it is well hidden that paragraph that i read is in the middle of a of a very hard travel across the desert mm -hmm. and even within that paragraph they're talking about the you know how harsh the hail is for the horses and and the, the people riding on the trail that is a very valid point i don't know how much i really want to read that again just like <laughs> it, it was just, it was brutal mm -hmm. um and usually usually for some reason i could take descriptions of violence but apparently not against animals and apparently not against cats because i don't know there, there was that one book that i read this is a completely this is a tangent but yeah. the sailor who fell from grace into the sea i immediately just stopped reading it after there was this one kid that brutalized a cat i'm like i don't want to do this but for some reason I, i'm guessing this was the intention with blood meridian also by the way the, the joke there is because i'm allergic to cats i forgot to tell you guys that yeah, <laughs> yeah that's the important context the punchline um with blood meridian it's just like the first very graphic scene happened i forgot what that was but it kind of numbs you to you know the i don't, I don't want to say novelty but the the eviscerating feeling of ooh didn't deserve that that shouldn't have happened oh poor man who got his skull ripped off or whatever i i don't know it feels numbing and i know that's supposed to paint like you know you're supposed to get to the east of the world but there, there comes a point where i'm just like i don't i don't i don't want to read all this yeah i mean i i understand that but it's also like hmm. um it, i guess it's like a greater disagree or like preferences i don't know yeah yeah and it's also i think you just kind of have to like stick with it and and kind of <laughs> kind of accept not let yourself go totally numb or or re recognize that you are going numb and mm -hmm. kind of recognize what your feelings would be if you weren't numb to it I, by now. I was just like wondering what the point of all mm -hmm. of it. I mean, because you kind of justified it. It's, it's all quote unquote justified at the end. It's mm -hmm. just like numb to the I mean, point that, where I'm like. That is the point of some of a lot of classics. A lot yeah. of classics justify their the things Violence. that they do in yeah. the ending. Like <laughs> yeah, I, I mean a lot of anything with a lot of depth usually yeah. justifies choices that it made by its it was just very hard to move on because it was just like it was so caught up in the fact that it was just describing all these facts of uh, violence which were effective mm. for the most part until the point where i'm kind of like all right you can kind of wrap this up here I, I've, I've gotten the feeling already and now i'm just it's overstated it's welcome i well i also think like there's a fairly consistent stepping up of it um mm the the constant like mistreatment of animals kind of got to me which i know there's obviously more horrific things in, to people. In, yeah. that happen to people um than some of the things that happen to animals but even from the very beginning how the boy uh treats his or how the kid rather treats his um treats his donkey uh in the first few chapters before he gets rid of it uh kind of got to me a little bit just straight from the outset and not even really that much violent had happened up to that mm -hmm. point he sells the donkey when he joins up with the with the fake army so 
you know, this is before he's even with the people who are going to commit the most violence. Um, and I'm already like kind of feeling weird about it. But however, I think pointing out the animal cruelty, we I have to point out a scene where um, the judge he's in town he they're in a town i forget what town it is maybe it's chihuahua i don't remember but he he he's walking along the gang's like hanging out and a kid walks up to the judge with two with a few puppies and the judge he pays for two puppies he takes them he does a little coin trick behind the kid's ear like kind of mm-hmm. like oh affable like funny uh um and then he takes the puppies from him by the scruffs of their necks and walks onto a bridge and tosses them into a river um there there is a stepping up throughout the book that while it doesn't necessarily keep you from getting numb it's that scene specifically was shocking to me because i mean puppies and babies are about the most innocent beings that you can like have baby and a baby anything a baby animal a baby human and uh obviously the it kind of first it kind of showed judges the judges lack of respect for for innocence in any capacity um but and there are there are definitely other things uh, that are worse that kind of show his lack of respect for innocence. Like um, I believe when the Indians attack, he has like a like a ten year old girl in his room. Mm. Um, so yeah, so it's it's throughout throughout it, he's there's a consistent stepping up from baby animals to a child, um, a, a ten year old, because the child comes after the puppies puppy scene Mm. um so that like that again i just realized this as i'm saying it there's a consistent stepping up of 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 all of the violence and it's like slowly increasing the heat while you're right in a pot of water and so so it it while yes you probably will stay at somewhat numb it's you know it keeps going up you can't constantly i was gonna top this oh he did right yeah exactly um I yeah I, I i i don't know it was it's 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 a really excellent book i think even if mm. i'm positive i got maybe like 15 percent of what it is possible to get out of it that is i mean if there's what yeah because i don't know i i know that reading moby dick and Paradise Lost is also not like it's recommended to really understand what's underneath the surface and subtext of it. Um, I haven't done that. Have you done that? I don't think so. No, no. I, I mean, day. like, I want to read on the. I want to read the books that are behind these kinds of books. Yeah, you know, Mo, the Moby Dicks, the Paradise yeah. Lost. I the, get really interested. All those, in but all that, but I, I have not yet. So yet is the key word here. Um, I also do want to mention the judge is a really interesting character, even though he's the embodiment of evil. Um, I, I just like, I, I mean, I, like is not like endorsing his ideas. Like, he's he's like, intriguing. He captures the imagination. Yeah. I like a really despicable villain, you know, one without nuance, 
just like you know just the pure embodiment evil that we're supposed to hate here you know you kind of you kind of fear him because like you don't know what he's gonna do he can predict the future in a way like there was that one monologue where he's like yo he didn't go yo but like the war like how he predicts like how later wars will be fought with machines and all that mm-hmm. which is very eerie um and yep. there are no redeemable traits um every time he teases like with the the, the puppy thing with the coin behind the ear he teases goodness and then just throws it out of the way um i'm just i'm just very concerned for carmack mccarthy how he can think of something so despicable <laughs> just like the and the, then there's always the famous scene where he's like anything anything that exists in creation without my knowledge exists without my consent um okay. and then he goes on to he goes on to say something along the lines of like i would prefer that the birds that birds live in cages because their flight is an insult to me holy cow and one of the gang members is like that'd be a really funny zoo like (laughs) yeah and he just chuckles like the judges he like smiles or something it's it's uh that scene is famous for a reason um it's very very intriguing uh a, a person being so evil captures the imagination very well there's a reason why we study uh I I guess I won't say his name because I think I know we all know who I'm talking about. One of the most evil men in the history of oh. humankind. There's a reason yeah. why. There's a reason why why almost if you walk into a bookstore and you go to the German history section, almost every book is about him or like the effects of him. Um, wow, yeah, what a time to mention Germany, huh? Because oh my next, god, next month are we wrapping not... up? Are we wrapping uh, up on that note? We are wrapping up because All right. uh Fair yeah, enough. I, I feel like I said what I had to say about uh Blood Meridian. It was very dense. Um mm-hmm. and I feel yeah, like this is the tip of the iceberg because what I read from it, um I had trouble understanding it. Pure kind of illuminated uh, illuminated the possibility of me coming back and visiting this book. Probably not really. Um, but hey, if someone recommended, hey, what's the most hardcore Western that you've read? I'll be like, I recommend Blood Meridian to you and just see how they like it. Is this a red flag book? Maybe, but pa- uh, pa- it, it depends, I would say. Okay. But that's red- with anything, actually, red yeah. flag books, it depends on the on who you're talking. It's about. how they interpret it, because yeah. obviously the author is not endorsing these ideas. I think Cormac McCarthy mm-hmm. probably is a good guy in real life. I don't know. Probably he doesn't do interviews. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we don't know. Yeah, it's probably. I mean, probably a decent person. And he's clear. I think it's very clear he's not endorsing the judge as like a, you know, a person to follow or be. <laughs> very, very obvious. I think. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah. So anyhow, it it again. It is funny that I mentioned Germany because well, we will announce right now. We might have already announced it, and I just forgot. But next month will be German literature. Um, if you're interested, I uh, will be discussing Siddhartha by Hermann Hesse, Hermann Hesse's most popular book. I will and, also be uh, reading that, and I will also be reading Perfume by something Suskind. Patrick, Patrick Suskind. Patrick. Suskind. So 
that episode, <laughs> spoiler alert, is that Pierce is going to correct me a lot on a lot of pronunciation. <laughs> well, so, uh, but I will also say uh, I might be reading something else. I don't know. We have a lot of time. Like, we've been kind of reading ahead. So, yeah. I mean, there might be, um, might even be another book in there. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, but and also, if you want to join us for the movie or, or the bookends, the Shinaba books that should have been called Off the Books, but we are too lazy to change the name now. Um, we'll be talking about my favorite director, um, Fritz Lang, and his other masterpiece, the movie M, nineteen thirty-one. Um, I love this movie, and I would usually say Pierce should watch a German silent film, but I don't know if he's really up to that task because German silent film is very influential, Tim Burton, but. Fritz Lang's first sound film in Germany. I think maybe his last M. So mm-hmm. be on the lookout for that. But if you want information on that show, uh, that future show, this show, as well as <laughs> our, uh, our other podcast um, plus show, not just any RPG where we play tabletop RPGs, you can find all that information on Twitter at not just any pod. Um, please, if you enjoyed this episode, give us a like, give us a rating. Follow us, whatever it is, on whatever platform. Uh, we'd really appreciate it. And, and uh, here that's we go. It. I don't know how to say uh, Avidasen Prometheus. You didn't Did save that for German month? Avidasen? I should have, but now it's too late for that. So I'll think of another <laughs> one. Let's okay. hope we don't do it in Italian. 